Welcome to the Burning Hearts Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us this week. On this week's episode, we have a chance to sit down with Adam and Shelly Reed from Antioch Church. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Chris on our inaugural episode of the Burning Hearts Church Podcast. And I'm really excited today to be sitting down with pastors Adam and Shelly Reed from Antioch Church in the Phoenix Valley. Uh, Adam, why don't you just tell us briefly about yourself, about your family, what you're doing at the church. Uh, Just give us a little background on on what you do out at Antioch. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I helped plant the church in the Phoenix area. We're now currently in the city of Chandler, which is just a suburb of Phoenix. It is now seven years old. And in the journey as a church planner, you wear every hat possible. Um, I still walk around the campus and throw away trash seven years in. So you do whatever it takes to, to be a good steward. Um, but currently, I wear five hats at our church, which is probably about two or three too many. But I um, am the associate pastor. I'm the college pastor. I'm the worship pastor. I'm in charge of all pastoral care, so like counseling, crisis counseling, premarital counseling. And then I'm an elder. Uh, we call them overseers at our church, but I'm an elder of our church. And then my wife is a clinical psychologist in Scottsdale, Arizona, and um, she has a private practice that she works at all along with a group practice that does intensives where people come in and do this intensive program, and uh, she's amazing at it. Awesome. And we have three kids, five, four, and one, all boys, Elias, Felix, and Grayson. Amazing. <laughs> amazing. You know, some of our church members uh, have been reading the book Passion and Purpose by Jimmy Seibert, and if you haven't read that book, you've got to pick up a copy of it. Um, But that's the church movement that you guys are part of. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey, how you ended up at an Antioch church, uh, and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. So um, my wife and I grew up in southern Indiana, and then we went to college in Birmingham, Alabama, at Samford University. And then after college, we prayed through what to do next. We were already married at this point because we got married young. And we headed to Boston, Massachusetts for grad school where I worked on a master's of architecture and Shelly got a doctorate in clinical psychology. And uh, while I was working as an architect and she was still in grad school, we were there kind of going through the motions of life where we found the, the church, or maybe it found us. I don't know which came first, but our lives got changed by this small community meeting in a middle school gym uh, in the middle of the city of Boston. And uh, it was called Community of Faith Christian Fellowship. Uh, and it was the first of all the Antioch churches, the first church plant that they ever had as a movement. And because uh, prior to that, it was just a training school that they had established with the dream of planting churches. So the first training school class planted a church and they picked Boston. And that's the church that we got to plug into. And uh, it radically, radically changed our lives. Um, we grew up in a Christian home. And so we already knew the Lord and loved the Lord. But um, that community looked like the the Church of Acts. It looked like the early church where they gave of what they had, not just of their abundance, but out of their own need to one another. They were sacrificial. They were loving. They were in each other's boats emotionally, spiritually, financially, every possible way. And uh, there was no such thing as like the back pew Christian or the backseat Christian. Everybody was fully engaged with worshiping God, loving God, and loving each other. And we were so inspired and convicted and pretty much every possible emotion saying, we want to be a part of this. And so after working for a few years as an architect, uh, there was a transition in life that God provided, and I felt like he'd been speaking it, and I was kind of wrestling with it for quite a, quite a while. But I eventually stepped in on staff with that church, and that's how we got involved as a, as a pastor with Antioch. 
uh, and that church today is called Antioch Brighton. It's, it's, they changed their name to be part of the, to represent the whole movement of all the Antioch churches. And the movement is a church planning and missions organization. And our, our thesis statement, what we're all about, is having a passion for Jesus and his purposes in the earth. So individual personal revival of loving God, knowing God, and then response, helping the world know about it so they themselves can love and know God. And so uh, about three years into working on staff there, we moved to plant our church in the Phoenix Valley. And so we are one of about 35 U.S. churches so far in the movement, and then we have about 80 teams overseas uh, in about 40 countries, and it's mostly uh, the Middle East and uh, Asia, Southeast Asia um, countries. Awesome. That's amazing. You mentioned something uh, just a minute ago about having no backseat Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we've talked before a little bit about the heartbeat of discipleship in your church. Yes. Do you want to maybe explain and just share a little bit about discipleship, how that's walked out in your church, what that looks like in an Antioch community? Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, so our goal is there's kind of multiple doorways, I would say, into our community of how to be involved or, or be a part of our church. <clears throat> but um, the biggest one is obviously a Sunday service, right? You, like that's what you consider that to be the biggest door. Where it's culturally in America, it's normal to show up to a church on a Sunday. And so we get the most visitors or we call them guests in our church where people are searching. Either they already know the Lord and they're looking for just a new community or they're just trying to figure out who they are, who is God and their whole adventure. And they show up on a Sunday. Our goal is to then get those people to filter into what we call life groups or these small groups. And then those small groups is where they actually get known. Because when your church grows, it's easy to be a number. And our goal is for no one to ever be a number. They, they're a soul. They're a person. They have a personality and a story. And God cares about that. And so, and we want to care about that. And so as much as we try to produce and create and provide space for community on a Sunday, the goal is really for them to have enough intimate relationships with somebody to where they get involved in a life group. And that life group is just meeting in people's homes. They're eating food together. They're worshiping. They're praying. They're studying the Bible together. And they're being vulnerable with one another. In the context of life group, our goal is then to get them to where they actually make a friend with somebody so significant or so real. And even sometimes you have to choose, even when you're not that close, you're just like, hey, let's just do this. But you say, let's be discipleship partners. Like, what if we actually spend either once a week or at least maybe once every other week at the most, or at the least, um, we spend time together specifically talking about our relationship with Jesus, what God's been saying and doing in our lives, and how do we obey it. Um, our goal is that every single person in our church is in a discipleship relationship because that's where you really make the, the rubber hits the road and you work out and work deeply in the DNA and the values of Jesus in our everyday life. It's one thing to sit in a sermon about you know, the love of God. It's another thing to work out your insecurities with somebody saying, I don't think God loves me. Like, I actually feel this way. And they say, well, let's pray through it. Let's work on it. Or, you know, they have a fear of evangelism because it's scary to talk about Jesus to other people you don't know. And then in discipleship, like, hey, let's go, let's go to the mall and let's just ask people if they know Jesus and let's see if we can pray for them. And like, you actually do the work of the ministry, actually apply it. And so the goal has always been, and will always be with the movement, discipleship, because that's when transformation really seems to happen. Wow. And isn't that really what we're instructed to do anyways, not just as pastors or ministry leaders, but as followers of Christ, Mm -hmm. discipling others, being discipled. Um, And I think you guys do it so well. I've been challenged in that, uh, just spending a few few minutes with you, (laughs) even outside of of the school. So um, one thing that you mentioned in the school that you had on the first day was uh, the concept of brokenness and humility. Could you just share 
a little bit about that topic. Um, I know that's impossible to condense into <laughs> a five minute or, you know, a two minute statement, but yeah. if there's some sort of nugget uh, that you could pull out from there, we just were overjoyed by what you shared uh, on Tuesday in the school. Absolutely. Um, so to give context, when I was in high school, my dad and I, my dad said, hey, how about we do a trip? We've We've never done a trip just by ourselves, and he's like, I would love just to do a vacation just with you. And I was like, wow, that'd be amazing. I have a wonderful father, and I was honored. And, and when we got on our trip, he like we're driving down the interstate to Florida. We're going to Florida together, and he pulls out these two identical books, and it's called Humility by Andrew Murray. And he's like, hey, when, when I was yesterday, when I was at the Christian bookstore, he's like, I saw this on the shelf, and I thought maybe this would be something fun that we'd read together on our trip and just see what it says. I was like, okay. So what we did was on our vacation, we basically, we would read out loud to each other, like rather like at the poolside or whatever, like we're, like we're just hanging out, we're at dinner and we're like pulling out the book, but we kept bringing it up and we would read it together and then we'd process what it meant. And, and, and that weekend not only changed my life because of my dad's intentional affection towards me of just getting time with my father, which is really special, but it was both of us as, as me as a young man and my dad as a, as a man many years ahead of me saying, we still want to be humble and broken before the Lord. What does it look like to go get, get low before God? And so the premise is this, is that brokenness is that aha moment that we continually need to have and we want to try to live in is that, that state of saying, I am desperately in need of God. Um, even as believers, we can be broken and in and, and, and the beginning of saying, wow, I need a Savior and we can receive Jesus. But how often does the Christian community in the church live unbroken where we're like, thanks God, I appreciate the salvation. Then I'm like, I got it from here. Mm -hmm. And we try to live independent of the desperate awareness of our need for Jesus. And so brokenness is is this constant reminder, not that it's not a self-defeating, belittling thing. It's just an appropriate perspective of saying, God is God, I am not. And absent of his continual involvement in my every breath, I'm not going to make it well. This isn't going to go good for me. And so that is like the moment is the, the brokenness moment. And that'll come one of two ways. You can choose it and you say, God, break me, humble me, like show me that I need you. Or you can go through some really painful things in life that can bring brokenness. I mean, how many testimonies or stories do you hear of yeah. people saying, I, I hit rock bottom right. and then I turned to God? I would say that was their brokenness moment, yeah. right? And, and we want, we'll have multiple of those kind of moments throughout life. Well, humility is the response to that. So you experience this aha moment of, wow, I need the Lord. And then we respond with, God, teach me to walk in humility. Teach me to think of others before myself. Teach me to get my eyes fixed on you and not my problems. Because wow. you're the answer and the solution to my problems. Yeah. And, um, and so it's just uh, getting your eyes. Uh, C.S. Lewis puts it this way. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And so that's really the goal. Which frees us up to have our eyes on God and on the people around us and not be self-consumed. And when we when we are so introspective and spend so much time thinking about ourselves um, although that can feel self-serving and that can feel good sometimes ultimately it it leads to this icky place of wallowing in in our own junk that we see yeah. or on the flip side of, of building ourselves up and ourselves in in this narcissistic way and so humility is simply seeing God for who he is and seeing ourselves for who we are with that in mind Amazing. What would you say is a primary fruit that you see in your life? Um, maybe now in a place where you've obviously adopted that lifestyle of humility, what's been a fruit of adopting that um, in contrast to maybe living more self-centered, uh, more selfish, maybe a primary fruit? 
I would say how it affects relationships is a very obvious one. The, the two fruit I can think of, the first one would be the freedom I feel like I have in Jesus, where like it, it takes humility to receive God's love. So like, even just in like my intimacy with God, if I operate in humility, what I'm doing is I'm now living from a place of already being approved and being able to say, you love me anyway, in spite of my junk, in spite of my mess, like you still choose me and want me. Like that reality allows me and humbling myself and saying, wow, he, I'm going to receive God's love even though I'm not worthy of it. That, that produces intimacy and freedom in my relationship with Jesus. So I'm not striving to get approval. I'm not trying to prove myself to somebody else or prove myself to God. Instead, I live from a place of approval through humility. So, so that's the first thing. The second thing is relationship with other people. Um, humility is attractive. Um, lack of humility is not. Like I can think of so many times <laughs> where um, I've seen someone who is not humble and how I'm like, I don't really want to be around them. You know, God bless them. They're important. God loves them, but they're not enjoyable. Yeah. Narcissistic people or self-belittling people, either extreme, which is still a form of pride, which is, yeah. at, is the enemy of humility, um, is unattractive and it's, and, it's, and, it's, and it's unhealthy to relationships. It's toxic in an environment. And so when someone chooses humility, they can have appropriate self-love and like as Shelly was saying like a, a, the right vantage point or perspective of who they are before God and before others so that they're freed up to love well other people wow. so when someone's humble you like I want to be around them they care about me they don't it's not just a conversation where I'm always asking about them they actually in return ask about me yeah. and it's like this there's this sharing and giving of relationship because humility is center stage in this process okay wow I know without without God and without a right perspective, I can take myself too seriously. Mm-hmm. I can put the world on my shoulders. I can feel overly responsible for myself and for others around me. I can be caught up with, oh, I've let this person down and I'm falling short in this area. And I can really carry this heavy weight, this heavy burden, taking myself way too seriously. And humility has been... Humility is something that helps me to see God for who he is, this big, huge, massive, powerful God, and help me to not take myself so seriously, to be aware that I really am just this empty vessel for God to use, and his ability is so much bigger than my inability that where's the ways that I really can fall short and the ways that I can let people down, the ways that I don't have it all together and that I have so much to learn. That's not a threat to God. He can use that. And he can actually use me even more when I'm aware of that, when I'm aware of my own need and I'm more fully dependent on him. Wow. Awesome. You guys are a wealth of knowledge and wisdom. <laughs> so it's amazing to sit across the table from you. Um, I Maybe one final question and turn the topic a little bit. You're talking about relationships, and obviously you two are very involved um, in ministry and other things and life things, but you have a family mm-hmm. and you have a healthy marriage. Can you talk a little bit about how you manage it all? Mm-hmm. And is that even the right word, managing it? Or how do you do it all with grace and mm-hmm. and you know, success. Yeah. I, w- I certainly would say that we don't always do it with grace and success. Oh, come on, babe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that we have a lot of grace for each other and, um, and our kids are so gracious with us. And we, this is a question that we ask ourselves often, um, certainly in each, each year, each season, 
each week sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, how do we how do we do this? Let's put our heads together. Let's ask the Lord, give us wisdom on how to do all of this well. We want to um, partner together well. We want our marriage to be a reflection of Christ in the church. We want the marriage is a big deal. We want to do this well. We want to be committed to each other and meet each other's needs. Mm-hmm. We want to parent well. These are talking about discipleship, our children. Mm-hmm. We're discipling our kids. We get to teach them about the Lord. We get to to walk alongside them and and help them and enjoy them. We want to do that well. Mm-hmm. And we've been given this community of people in our church that we want to lead well. We want to be there for the people in crisis. We want to be, Adam wants to be well prepared when he's, preaching or when he's leading worship, he really wants to be meeting with God and to do that well. And it can be hard to do all of that well. Sometimes it can feel like doing one of those things well is at the at, is a cost in another area or it's at, it's the, expense. at the expense of, of something else. And so um, so it's very tricky. I know that for me, there have been like one of the seasons we haven't done this well. Um, life was really busy. Life was really full. Ministry was was full, and I found myself kind of resenting mm-hmm. his work as a as a pastor, or feeling like like I'm the one who's paying the cost of this. That I'm getting the short end of the stick. That my husband's so busy with all these things, and he's not tending to me in some way. And while there's some legitimacy in that, and and that was one of those times we really needed to sit down and talk that out and mm-hmm. figure out how to how to balance all of these things and how to do them all well, how to prioritize things for that season. Um, the work for me in that point was I realized that I had kind of lost vision mm-hmm. for what God had called us to. And I was seeing, um, I, my vantage point was seeing other things as a threat to me mm-hmm. rather than and being delighted with this gift that God has had given us of this big calling. My perspective had gotten so narrow in my little home, my little family, my little life, what's convenient, what's comfortable for me. And I had lost sight of this big vision from God. So once I was able to tap into that again, yes, we still had needs and we needed to find have boundaries and find balance. Um, but I was much more willing to give of myself and to... Um, to give to our ministry and to give to my husband rather than seeing him as the enemy in some way to see, to be his partner. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, your first place of ministry is your family. And I don't say it just to be like cliche, like that's what pastors are supposed to say. Um, If what I'm asking from a pulpit for our body to do, I'm not willing to do in my home or I'm not already doing, uh, it's broken. There's something wrong. Mm And so I have to make this stuff real for me long before I expect it to make it real for somebody else that I'm trying to lead. And so um, loving my wife is my highest priority. Loving my kids is second. Loving the church is third. Um, and obviously, all in that context of loving Jesus, ultimately. Yeah. Um, and so uh, the, the, the tension that I think my wife's referring to and I agree with is just the, the cost of ministry and the cost of discipleship, the cost of living for Jesus. Yeah. Um, when it's when it's costly, you when you feel it, you're like, wow, this is a high cost. So, I think what's helped us is that we're learning how to get vision together, mm-hmm. and uh, for our family and for ministry, and it's together, not just okay, you do ministry because you're a pastor and I'm a psychologist or whatever, but like we get vision together, and and then we also say, what is it like to get our family, not just me and my wife, but our kids, in on the vision? Like if we're gonna cost, we're all gonna we're all gonna cost together. If we're going to sacrifice, we're going to sacrifice together as a family. And teaching our, and they're young still, but like teaching our kids like the joy of laying something down for Jesus 
Like, you know, we, we have phrases that we say in our home, like the reeds are, you know, the reeds don't whine is one of the things I say a lot. If the boys are whining, I'm like, hey, the reeds don't whine. The reeds are, we're not, we're not complainers, but we, we celebrate and we give Thanksgiving, you know? Um, but a big thing that we say is we say the, the reeds love people even at a cost is something I've said many times with our kids. Wow. Hey, who are the reeds? We're people. We love people even at a cost. Wow. And so, but the vision has to be something we all owe together, like we're in it versus one not feeling like they're bought in on the vision and they get resentful when everybody else is doing something that's, that's impacting them in a way they don't want it. They're not bought in on. Yeah. And so, um, I know, uh, Francis Chan wrote a book on marriage and the whole premise of his book is a family on mission together is a godly family. You know, like, how do you do marriage? You get on vision together yeah. and on mission with vision together. And so um, I think that that's something we're, we're constantly learning. And we've been married uh, 14, over 14 years. We've been together for 18 years. Wow. Um, I will say that we, we have the blessing of having a very gracious marriage where some people would say that marriage is a great period, but some people say that's the hardest thing in their life is making, like working on their marriage. I would say that's not been our story. Wow. Um, we've always had a very pretty easy marriage. We've had hard seasons or some nasty fights and we're human beings, but, um, uh, there's been a grace on our marriage to where, um, we've really thrived in our marriage. Um, but I'd also say that so much of it was that we've fallen in love with Jesus together. And so like when we do fight, the first thing my wife asks is, have you spent time with Jesus yet today? which I stomp off and tell her to be quiet. And <laughs> I'm frustrated that she just asked that and called uh, me out. And then you go spend time with Jesus. And, and then I go spend time with Jesus, and I come back, and I'm like, I'm sorry. Yeah. I love you, and I was wrong, you know? Wow. And then we, and we move forward, you know? And so our intimacy with Jesus is what produces a good marriage. Like, it's not just having good intentions and, and a good morale. Come on. Like, because there's things in life that hurt and are difficult and kill morale. Yeah. We've got to meet with God individually, and then we've got to meet with God as a couple, and then we've got to meet God as a family, yeah. and he has to give us vision and mission to live for together. So when the cost comes, we have the grace for it because we're in it together. Wow. I remember when we were dating, someone shared with us this idea of a triangle where the, the point on top is God and husband and wife are on either point on the bottom. And as as each person gets closer to God, they're also getting close to, to, closer to each other. Wow. And that's really been the case for yeah. us, that as we've continu- continued to pursue God um, and we're getting closer to Him, yeah. we're also joining closer together. So we really are very different people now than we were when we were dating, oh, than when we first got married. Sure. And so it different. just feels like we've grown in the same direction. I yeah. think that direction is towards God, and He's just has really knit us together wow. um, more and more as a couple as we've embraced Him and who He is. Yeah. Wow. Well, I see it in your lives, and I am not afraid to say that I want to be more like you, <laughs> both of you. And I, I think <laughs> you guys are the real deal, honestly. And it's it's been amazing to spend a few days with you, and I hope we get to do it again. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing some wisdom. If you're out there listening, I pray that this just really, really blessed you today uh, and spoke to you, that God continues just to illuminate his word and, and that you can pull things even from this, um, this time together, uh, that it would affect you and your families. Um, So I just pray that out in Jesus' name over you. Uh, We just bless you if you're listening. Once again, this was Adam and Shelly Reed from Antioch Church in the Phoenix area. We're so thankful you were on. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks. We hope this message encouraged you today. For more information about Burning Hearts Church and our mission, please head to burningheartsfargo.com. If you are in the Fargo area, we'd love to have you join us for one of our Sunday services at 9 or 1045 a.m. Have a great rest of your week.